0: Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of Godly Conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, I'm Jeremy Lee, and uh, Matthew's in charge today because I'm not doing things right.
1: Well, that's not exactly, first (laughs) of all, good morning, second of all, it's not that you're not doing anything right, it's just... I'm doing this, ep- leading this episode.
0: You do plenty of things right. Well, I, I messed up before we started, so...
1: I think we can forgive you for not pushing a button.
0: Thank you. I'll push your buttons instead. I have no doubt. <laughs> so, uh, today, uh, Matthew's going to tell us everything we need to know about faith, and I'm going to barrage him with questions and arguments if he's wrong.
1: So, like a normal day?
0: Yeah. Okay, just checking.
1: All right, so if you have paid attention to the world around us, you know that there's this phrase that keeps getting bantied around in religious circles about deconstructionism. Or the idea that people are relinquishing their previous held beliefs for a variety of reasons. What I want to spend some time on today... They're,
0: and And they're usually... Christian, and I say in scare quotes, musicians who are doing this. Yes.
1: Right. They're either Christian musicians or...
0: Those are the ones you hear about. Right. I'm sure there's others, but... Right. Those are the ones you hear about.
1: So I want to spend time talking about one of the reasons why I think this is happening, and possibly in future episodes we might talk about some other reasons. But one of the reasons why that I think this is happening is because... On the in the broad evangelical landscape, I think we have misunderstood what faith is and what faith looks like. So as an example, if Jeremy, if you were going to ask a random person to
0: define faith, what do you think what might their answer be? I think they'd probably say something about like believing in yourself or whatever you personally believe. It's yeah. going to have more to do with confidence in themselves than, right. than anything else.
1: I would agree. It would either be that or it's going to be, I was looking on, I forget, some online, and they were asking some question, and this their answer is, faith is believing without reason. Oh, yes, yes, I've heard that. <laughs> Which, let's just set, set the table right now, that's not what faith is. No. Faith is not... At its core, believing without reason, or it's not what Jeremy said that he's heard, that it's believing in yourself or something to do with yourself. Now, there's lots of factors that lead into why this happens. But to talk about it more from from a religious perspective, I think there's a couple things we have to acknowledge. One, I don't think we've done a good job talking about faith because we like as we talked about the Holy, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. Faith is this mystical thing that just kind of out there, and you're just supposed to grab hold and not really understand it. And there it is. And so people who are more analytical go, "I have no idea how I'm supposed to do that," and so they don't understand faith. Or you get people who, sadly, have been influenced by prosperity gospel and. We'll talk about it more in a little bit. There's a verse that we're going to talk about in Romans 12, and one prosperity gospel preacher basically says this verse means that I have as much faith as Jesus, and I just have to tap into it, and here we go, and if I pray for it and ask for it and I believe, then it's going to happen.
0: In the prosperity gospel, faith is more like currency to get what you want from God. Right. It's the coin you put into the vending machine so that God gives you what you requested
1: Right. And then inevitably, what you request doesn't happen in the way you think it's supposed to happen. And so you either question whether you're a believer or you question whether you have enough faith. And that just leads to all of these questions. And that's what this deconstructionism builds upon is it's challenging assumptions and it it tears you down your belief structure.
0: I actually think there's, there's nothing under the structure is, is the problem. Right. I would wholeheartedly agree Especially with that. Especially if they're saying that faith is uh, believing without reason. Right. That, that is automatically putting making a conflict between faith and reason, which doesn't exist. Right.
1: No, you, you're right. Now, the one caveat I do want to say is there are, there's a legitimate struggle for some people with a lack of faith. It's real. They don't have any ill conceived idea. They just struggle with believing. And to cast them into the same boat, the same pot, whatever analogy you want to use, is a problem. And it's a mistake. And it's a mistake we can't afford to make. That there are people who struggle. And I think that leads us to where we'll start and then we'll come back to a more generalized. So there's a verse in Romans 12. In verse 3, and Paul uses this phrase at the end of the verse, he says that God has given us a measure of faith. Hmm. So, since, I put Jeremy on the spot a little bit, since Jeremy just preached Romans 12 and 13. Uh,
0: I knew you were going to say that.
1: Yeah, I know you knew I was going to say that. doesn't mean I'm an expert. Uh, I understand you're not <laughs> an expert, but I was going to say, have, what, was there anything as you were looking and studying, is there any thoughts that you saw that about that or... Anything you want to say about what you think that phrase means when he says in Romans 12, 3, that God has given us a measure of faith?
0: Well, it seems in the context that it has to do with spiritual gifts um, because that's what the paragraph there is really talking about is spiritual gifts. It, it seems to go along with that. So that, you know, these are gifts of grace and you use them with faith. So grace and the faith go together. So it it seems like that that's the idea. No, I think you're completely right. So I, th- I don't I don't think it's like God dumps faith into your head or something like that.
1: <laughs> right.
0: He's got a measuring cup and he dumps faith in your head.
1: Right. I think that's a good place for us to start. Is that first of all, I was reading Piper. Piper makes the comment that this is. A measure of faith means that, one, it's a gift from God and that he He grants us faith and that we can gain from this the understanding that different people get different measures of faith because people get different levels of all gifts. Right. Some people don't get any – there's a particular gift that you might get – God might not grant you any of and he grants – you more of another of another and less of some, because they were gifts from God of gifts of grace, as Jeremy right. said.
0: And this is why it used to be now it's been perverted and corrupted, but it used to be that we called those people who had great faith, we called them saints. Not demeaning the fact that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is a saint in some sense, but to say that someone had great faith and was really an important believer they were called saints now it's been as you know it's <laughs> what what started out maybe as a good thing uh ends up getting corrupted throughout the generations and means more than it's supposed to be so so we'd say saint augustine had right. a measure of faith greater than ours
1: but that doesn't somehow what that doesn't mean because this is, tends to what has happened, how Jeremy was talking about he gets promoted, That doesn't mean that somehow he should be venerated as something we, to which we can never attain. What it means is that he demonstrated this gift in a particular way, and we should be thankful and seek to emulate that to the best that we can, but not to the point where he gets venerated. Because there are surely, if you spend time reading, you read anybody. Who's called Saint? You'll find flaws and you can find issues with them where you look at them and you go, but God has granted me the ability to do that better than they did, whatever it might be. But I think you're right. The story that I think, think about when you think about this measure of faith, I always think about George Mueller. So I right. always go, I mean, the, the whole idea, the whole story that I'm sure many of our listeners have heard, when Mueller sits down at the table at his orphanage in England. There's no food, there's nothing. He says, we're going to pray because God will provide us food. And sure enough, as he's praying, the cart outside breaks down full of milk and bread. And the guy has says, I have nowhere to go. I can't get it where I'm going. Do you want it? And we sit and we look at that. First of all, that should be encouraging to us. But second of all, I think the reason why that story is true is because God granted Mueller a great measure of faith but that leads to a second part for us to understand about this measure of faith so God grants these gifts, this measure of faith but that faith then we have to answer this question how do we determine this measure how do we quantify it so I think a lot of times people want to quantify faith by amount. They want to measure it in amount. When in reality, faith isn't measured in amount as much as it's measured in duration. Or in intensity. So what, what I mean by that. I think you have people who have different measures of faith. Different levels, different amounts. But that faith is then has to be exercised. So we go back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, One Faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. That's what I would contend is the actual definition of faith. It's the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. But it ultimately it's about faith is in something. So if we so we understand if we understand that faith is in something, then It's not about how much we have. It's about how strongly we hold to it. Or to use another story from the Bible to help us understand this, it's Peter walking on the water. Peter had more faith than any any of the other disciples. How do we know this? He got out of the boat. When Jesus said, come, no one else got out of the boat except for Peter. The rest of them just kind of sat there. So Peter exercised his faith. So he had a greater measure than faith. But that faith then began to wane because the circumstances of life interrupted his faith. It, it broke his gaze. He he was not focused upon Jesus, but rather on his circumstances. So his faith was then weakened and transferred, and it's lessened in its intensities to the point that he sank. So I think we have to understand a different metric in how we quantify what faith is. I think that's another one of the issues or the problems,
0: the struggles that we run into. I I think that that's a a good point. So a couple things I would add. The duration is definitely important, but we can also quantify it by looking at the works that are produced. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to understand that because one of the problems I think that happens with faith is people think that it's just a good—it's a positive feeling or a spiritual excitement, and that is faith. And so people think if they're jumping up and down or hollering at church or really into it, then that that's a sign of great faith, and it could be, okay? But I'm, what I'm saying is it's not necessarily— Faith produces good works. So, and one of those good works is enduring till the end. (laughs) So, um, but faith produces good works, which that passage in uh, Romans chapter 12 is talking about spiritual gifts that are supposed to be used. That's why faith is mentioned alongside of it. That's, That's the way it has to be measured, not just by some outward excitement or... Um, inward feelings. Uh, It's a matter of, is it producing good works? Yeah, very much so.
1: And so then, since Jeremy's completely right, one of the ways in which I exercise faith is that that faith produces good works. The question has to be asked, how then do I exercise faith to produce good works? And I think this goes back to something we've talked about a lot, the fundamental answer is how do I exercise faith to produce good works? Is by the means of grace, the ordinary means of grace. It goes back to Romans 10. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. How do I exercise faith? I read scripture. I listen to it. I allow it to soak into my bones. Right. It becomes a part of me because ultimately if faith is not about myself, then it has to, then what, but faith is about always, faith is always tied to an object. You can't separate faith from the object. So the problem we have with faith is, is the object we tie it to is us. And we're unreliable objects because frankly, we're sinners. We, we mess up. So faith isn't tied to us. Faith has to be tied to God. And for most of us as evangelicals, we get that when it comes to salvation. But for some reason, we don't get that when it comes to sanctification. <laughs> We're perfectly fine in tru- with trusting Jesus and having faith because the only way I can get to heaven is because of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross. But I have no idea how to trust Jesus for like a Tuesday. And I somehow think that, that it's all on me and it's my faith and I have to deliver and I have to do all these things. And I don't place my faith faith in the right object, and then inevitably what happens is I fail because I'm an imperfect object.
0: Right. So, I mean, the means of grace, uh, as we've talked about many times before, the Christian life is a journey, and there are many hardships on the journey. We we need encouragement. We need food. We need cleansed. um, We need... To talk to someone who knows and understands and who can give wisdom, um, all of these things come from God. There, and they're, uh thats what the means of grace are: the Word, the, the Word, prayer, uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper. All—all all of these are helps on our journey of uh, Christian faith, and so they encourage us. Each of them encourages us to look to Christ. Um, not at the means itself you know the Lord's Supper in and of itself uh, it isn't all that significant but it's a but as a sign that points to the Savior it it is very important so if we want more faith then we need to expose ourselves more to the means of grace because those means of grace will point us to Christ more and more mm-hmm. and it especially the corporate means of grace right um, yes you need <laughs> you need to read your Bible privately and in family worship and you need to pray in private and in family worship but we we especially need those things together so um, go to church
1: right because <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things we don't understand well is that we exercise faith. When we exercise faith, we it's this psych, circular cycle. I know that's redundant, but here it is. <laughs> God gives us grace to exercise faith, which produces more grace. So why why you exercise faith? And so we'll strengthen that way. And if we short change the process because we don't do the things he's called us to, the means of grace, especially as Jeremy said, the corporate ones, then we don't, Get what we are after because we're not doing the process the way God has called us to do the process, and I think that's why it's so important. Why we constantly and consistently talk about the means of grace because we far too often are looking for silver bullets or we're looking for like fairy godmothers with magic wands that can just smack or us pixie dust. or pixie dust that just one day one day we're a terrible unbeliever and the next day we become back to being a saint, and we're going to be just like Augustine, or Mueller, or whoever else, or, you know, since this, we're recording this on the anniversary of Spurgeon's death, Spurgeon, whoever it might be, and that's not how this works. God has given us how it works, is that we exercise faith, and we just continually, that faith is then strengthened repeatedly, and that faith becomes hardened in a good way, be able to we, go ahead, yeah.
0: And that's why, that's why the journey is like it is. What right. in the Old Testament, I can't remember the exact place, but when Israel is getting ready to go into the Promised Land, God tells them He's not going to drive all the all the pagans out all at once, but He's going to do it slowly. Now, the reason it it says is so that the wild beasts don't take over the land, and, and I'm not arguing that that's untrue. What you see there is that God is partially doing it so that they have to rely on him each step of the way. And they don't, because God could have just vanquished all of them and given them the land, but there's a reason the journey is like it is. Affliction can increase faith, or it can, be, it can prove faith to be uh, not genuine.
1: Right. So that leads to another point that, I want to spend a little bit of time on, and that is when I face affliction. Notice I said when, not if, when Mm -hmm. I face affliction. That's when my faith comes into necessity. So the question then becomes, what do I do? So if we think to the story in Mark 9, just these two verses, Mark 9, 23 and 24, Jesus says to him, "If if you can believe all things are possible to him who believe... Immediately, the father of the child cries out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Now, here's the thing that has always amazed me about that statement. The paragraph never tells, Jesus never condemns or challenges or says anything to that man. He doesn't say, well, you just need to believe. The man says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And Jesus just accepts it. Which leads me to, has led me to this conclusion. I think it's important for us to understand. Sometimes we get this idea that faith is without doubt. And I think that's a problem. I don't think it's wrong for us to doubt, for us to question, for us to wonder. And I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think that for faith to be real, it has to be completely pure. When in reality, faith isn't not being able to question But faith is realizing that even as we question,
0: we still trust God. I don't think you'll disagree with what I'm going to say, so it's not really correcting you. Because I think this is what you're trying to say. Doubt is always sinful. But all of our works are always a mix of sin because they come from us. So, yes, we ought to be working to remove doubt. But just because you have doubt... Doesn't mean your faith isn't genuine, right? You can have genuine, genuine faith, can coexist with doubt. Yeah, and to I, some to some degree, right? And I think the the problem we to go back
1: to where we started in this whole deconstruction idea is the problem is is people don't believe that they think that because their faith isn't perfect, that then I need to throw it out and I, none of it can be true because I'm not I'm not a hundred percent there,
0: right? Well, and, and that, again, that's what, what you've said through this whole episode, is the object. Right. It's the object of your faith that is the most important. Our, our faith is always going to be mixed with sin, because it comes from sinful creatures like us. But it's the object of the faith that counts. It's the object of faith that saves. It's Christ that saves, not our faith our faith is the way we grab hold of Christ but that's not what gets us to heaven and unfortunately Christians have this idea that we're saved by faith and that if you just believe then i'm i'm struggling with how to say it you it's a having faith in faith right rather than having faith in Jesus Christ um unfortunately i don't have a good illustration of it we're, we're trusting in someone we're not trusting in our faith right so so
1: I was thinking like this I've used this illustration for a few years if if I want if if I decided since it's Ohio in winter and there's a snowstorm supposed to be coming this week and I don't want Jeremy to have to endure a snowstorm. So I want to send him on a trip. So I have so option one is like take him to the top of the church, and I say I have all the faith in the world that if I push you off, you can flap your arms and you can get there.
0: I have, I'm not going to the roof with I you.
1: I understand. I have all <laughs> kinds of faith. I believe with every fiber of my being because I because Jeremy's my friend and I know he can do it. And I go and I have faith in faith and faith in Jeremy and I push him off. Jeremy will fly for about a millisecond and then, and then I'll go splat. And then he'll go splat right on the road in front of us. But if I have complete. Faith that Jeremy can fly, and I want to send him on vacation because I because Ohio winter can be annoying and hard. And so I take him to the airport and I buy him a seat on an airplane and I put him on the airplane and I send him to Florida. The amount of faith, the intensity of my faith does, hasn't changed, but the object in which I placed it has changed. No matter how much I believe Jeremy can fly, reality says sadly, Jeremy cannot fly.
0: But, but if I make it to the road out there, that's doing pretty good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but
1: airplanes can fly. Yes. And so it's not about as much as the amount of faith or how I exercise or having faith in faith. It's having faith in the object. My faith has to be in an object capable of what I'm asking it to do. Jesus has demonstrated repeatedly that he has the ability to do what I've asked, what I ask him to do and what he's called me to do even more importantly. So he bestows this measure of faith into my life. He gives it to me. My responsibility then as a Christian is to whatever he has given me, however, however much, whatever the measure of faith is, I exercise it. I work it out. I demonstrate it. I strengthen it. I harden it by faith ultimately by the means of grace. And then when difficulty comes, I don't allow the difficulty or the questions to turn my eyes from the object of the faith who is capable of accomplishing it, Jesus. So, any other thoughts you have, Jeremy?
0: Well, yes, but and if if you do have doubts in that affliction, there's forgiveness. Right from Christ so you're not just because you doubt in the situation and I know you're not saying this but just because you doubt in the situation doesn't mean to give up it means repent turn to Christ and the means of grace and through this God will grow your faith and make it stronger and slowly but surely begin removing those doubts and and strengthening your faith but the the problem is giving up Mm -hmm. (laughs) correct if you give up then that proves your faith was never genuine in the first place but if if you if you continue on by the grace of God your faith will be strengthened through whatever doubts or affliction that you may be going through i do want to when we close i would like to talk uh, more specifically about the, what it, what faith is so faith consists of three things and there's latin words but i won't bore you with those so the first is, is the idea that you have to know some things. There's, there's a content, there's a knowledge content, a rational content to faith. Uh, and there's a minimal content that you have to know. You have to know that God exists, that Christ died for your sins, that he, he is God, that he's willing to save. And, and there's, there's other things as well. So this is this is why instruction is important whether you're coming to faith for the fir, well, for the first time or renewing your faith because of doubts or whatever there's always some content that you need to know the next part is see, seeing and appreciating the value of in this case it would be Christ seeing how precious he is having that affection for him and seeing it's, that it's worth your while and worth your time. So, and this comes from God's work in your heart. I mean, the knowledge does too because he illuminates our minds to help us to understand these truths. Um, and Then he gives us, he works in our heart to to um, help us to see the value of of Christ and what he's done. And then finally is what we normally think of when we think of faith and that is trust. So um, this is what trust is when we yes we know we have the knowledge we see its value for ourselves and so we cast ourselves completely and fully on Christ uh, as Savior and Lord. This, this is really what faith is, and as we've been saying all along, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Um, Jesus of Nazareth, who was born of a virgin, went about doing good, died, was buried, uh, raised from the dead, and is now ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, and one day will be coming again. That's who we have faith in. But we have to be careful, too, because we don't want to sit around nasal, ga- nasal gazing. Nasal. navel gazing. There you go. <laughs> I'll get it right one day. Navel gazing and examining our faith. I mean, to a, a sense, we have to make sure we have true faith by saying, do we know the right thing? Do we see the value? Have we cast ourselves completely on Christ? But more important, we need to continue... Again and again, look to Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ. He, the object is more important than the strength or the size or the scope of your faith.
1: That right there is the most important thing we can leave you with. Says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we walk by faith, not by sight. So focus upon Jesus, the perfect object of our faith. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to questions, comments, or even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we once again would love to thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship. We are striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.